lights out on another final episode of season one of Flippin' F1. As always, the panel's here with me to prognosticate and give other poorly informed opinions. Let's start off by saying hello. Our technical man, Gareth's with us. How you doing, bye? Oh, you know, I could do with less variability and chaos in the world. But it's good to be here with you guys, which is a constant. So thank you. <laughs> that was weirdly, weirdly prescient. <laughs> Spence, how's it going on the left coast? Doing good, Randy. Hanging in. How are you? Ah, it's been a weekend, but I'm glad to be recording this with you guys. I'm still going through race withdrawal, still trying to look at some of last year going, what the hell was that? But generally, just feeling good. And Professor, always with us. How you doing, man? I'm excited to be here. Always happy to be here, hanging out with you guys, talking about racing. is always fun. I'm so race deprived. I actually watched, what, 10 minutes on YouTube yesterday of the Formula E race, just to try to get some racing in my system. You know what? I will say uh, that qualifying format in Formula E is fire. It is wicked. It looks good. I, I was yeah. listening to a podcast about it and I was completely and utterly confused. You know what? I was watching it and I was confused. But hey, some a challenge to learn. It seems like effectively like a ladder competition. Is that how it works? It's kind of something like that. It's like a constant <laughs> something shootout. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know that I get it myself, but it was fun to watch. I need to watch it again a couple of times just to get the rhythm of the whole thing. I'm also not sure how I like about that overtake feature that they do. The fan boost? Yeah, the fan boost. I don't know. Seems a little gimmicky to me. But hey, you know what? I needed some racing 50 days to go when that was on. And I was like, I just have to watch something. There's always IndyCar. Yeah, there's always IndyCar. And Daytona happened this past weekend. So Yeah, actually, it was going on. I was reading some updates. It, it was looking really close. And you can go back and watch all the coverage from the Dakar this year as well. There we go. I've got things to keep me busy for the next 48, 48 days. 48 days. Well, I mean, there's going to be lots and lots of little things to happen. There's, of course, the closed testing session. I'm sure we'll go <laughs> off on that at some point. Which will be yeah. boring because we won't really get to well, see much. They're doing that because they can't. They're worried about the engines. They're worried about how the cars are going to survive. It's Formula One protectionism. We're worried about who's passed their barge board tests and who hasn't and everything else. And yeah. Worry about who's going to drive. Yeah. I mean, you got all these worries happening all at the same time. And of course, you know, they just want to make sure that Spence feels good about Pirelli tires, so they don't want to show him off too early. <laughs> hey, you know, we've seen lots of those uh, big tires already. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them shred yet. So, I mean, look, there's going to be a first time that happens this year and a first time I go off on them. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sport races are coming together too, though. W Series just put out their circuits. Super excited about that. They're heading back to some good spots. Mexico City's on the docket, as well as Austin and Silverstone. And they're going to Suzuka, which I didn't even realize that the circuit was open and doing sport races for other stuff. So that's super exciting. Are we going to get to Suzuka this year? I hope so. Fingers across that we get to all 23 races this year. All right, so let's get into it then, fellas. Let's put the last word on 2021 and this crazy season that saw us launch this podcast, which was super fun. All kinds of crazy madness and yet sometimes boring moments throughout this season. So 2021, takeaways and throwaways. Everybody gets a final word on this past season. You're going to give me two things that you'll use to get people in the sport, stories that you'll tell, things that you'll brag about. And two things that the sport just should try to let drift into history, because frankly, why talk about it anymore? 
All right, so let's uh, let's flip a coin. And Professor, you're up. What are you two? Sorry, Randy, I, I didn't actually see an actual coin flip happen there. I know. I, what, who are you, the FIA? <laughs> the legal complications are happening already. We haven't even gotten into anything. Wait till we have some technical problems to talk about, guys. Uh, see, what you can't hear is that I actually have others in my ears saying, Randy, no! Randy, Randy, no! No, Randy, <laughs> It's not right, Randy. <laughs> Yeah, I just need one flip, Randy. I just need one flip. <laughs> well, I think that leads me off to that first thing that needs to go. And that obviously is the radios to the FIA race director from the team principals. That was ridiculous. Probably the worst dramatic thing of the season on that. And I really think that the F1 dug a little deep into the drama this year. So that doesn't help promote the sport. In my mind, when we're thinking about the competition, we're thinking about the sport... How do I want to talk about it to everybody else? I think it's the ultimate in competition, the strategies that the teams have, how they have it, strategizing with the drivers, making those decisions and tough calls at times on the fly with decisions as to how to get themselves up the grid as quickly as possible and keep the places as much as possible. For me, that's the fun part of the team and watching human nature take its course and how people react or don't react sometimes to what is going on. But for me, the other two sort of positives to talk about is really just the advancements and changes of the teams. I think that is, as a lifelong fan, that's where I link into the sport is how teams have improved. Alpha Tauri, McLaren, for example, Alpine, how teams have gotten worse. Well, Haas, we knew that. <laughs> Williams. Like just those changes and seeing how that all interacts. That's the excitement for me. So 2021 brought us all of that. Yeah, for sure. I was super excited about the FIA radio feed that like we could see on TV when we could see it. Like those first ones was go, oh, well, this is really intriguing. And then it just became the worst. Like it was a total, I don't know. It let you too far into behind yeah, the curtain. It was the sausages being made. Too far into the magic. We all knew and we all know that this has happened in years yeah. past. The team principals have been on the radios. It's always happened. But to actually hear it, that was the part I struggled with. And then to hear how certain team principals at the last race really overdid it. Yeah, I hear you. I think it's got to go. I think both the actual public feed, but also just the fact that it's happening itself. Yeah, or absolutely. Put some kind of distance between team principals and engineers and the race directors. So that... Well, the race directors have to have their space to make the decisions and to work their magic. And they're in the moment trying to make safety decisions. They, they shouldn't be influenced by anybody from outside of that sphere, really. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, Spence, what are your two things you're going to talk about to get people into the sport and two things that you think should drift in history? I know this is like, this is what, your second full season watching F1? Yeah, so this was the end of my second full season watching. I guess I will qualify that by saying I did watch it a lot as a kid, but there was a pretty big gap in, in kind of my watching. I, I kind of looked at your question that you sent us, Randy, a little differently, and, and I said, what are two things that I would use to get people into the sport? I was thinking about it kind of at a macro level rather than like specific events that happened. But I would say, look, I think F1 on YouTube does an excellent job for state-run TV. Yeah, I'm providing you with race recaps, all the radio best of, and historical top tens. So sorry, we're being interrupted by a Lance Stroll feed. Just give me a second. Is Monaco directing this now? But it's like it does a great job of keeping you up to speed as to what's currently happened. And for newer fans, like it gives you a little bit of a basis in history of how similar things have happened over the course of time. And it lets you kind of be up to speed and able to engage kind of on race day. So I would say to anyone who's 
looking to get into it, that's fantastic. And then I would also point people to uh, WTF1. I get a great kick out of those guys. After every race, I love watching the internet's best reactions to videos and things like that. Like I personally try to stay away from F1 Twitter. So, I mean, this is it's a good uh, kind of synopsis for me and gives me all the best bits. So I would point people to those two things. In terms of things that need to drift into history, I'm going to say one, sprint quality. Yeah. Don't like it. I, I have no problem with a, a sprint event. And if you want to do that for points, fine. I don't like it being used for qualifying. It just it doesn't sit right with me. And, and the races have been, I don't know, they've been, they've been okay. I mean, there's nothing groundbreaking. The, the benefit of it is that it gets you something as an F1 fan to watch on kind of three days. But I don't find the TV to be particularly compelling. And the last thing that we need to have drift into history is the, uh, the Michael Massey era. I think it's got to go. Uh, way too much inconsistent decision-making this year. As happy as I was with the result from the final in Abu Dhabi, how they got there was an absolute shit show and frankly is probably not the right answer. So I think either his role has to be drastically redefined and probably shrunk in scope or he needs to go altogether and someone else needs to take it. I don't think he needs to go. I really don't. I think that's a scapegoat way out rather than saying, how do we improve it? How do we make it better? And how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? I, I realistically, he needs to stay. It needs to be part of the solution to move out of this. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Mercedes have put their foot down and I think that's what's going to ultimately drive the FIA. But I think he should stay and be part of the solution. I agree that something has to change for sure. Yeah. So if he's going to stay, and I think I, I alluded to this in my previous <laughs> answers, that his role has to change. It has to be shrunk. He can't have his fingers in as many kind of things as he does now. It's too big a job for him. Could other people do it? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, everyone seems to sing the praises of Charlie Whiting, but we all know that he had a you know, very strong number two in Herbie, right? So I, I don't know if, if Michael can continue to do this job on his own. I'd like to see him either go and bring someone in who can do it or just dramatically rethink how that role is currently part of the race weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of a rethink. I'm here nor there on Massey as a person, but I think the role is far too stretched out and, and I guess it has far too much influence on results and a sort of arbitrary power over the possibilities behind a race. I would like to see far more sort of decentralization of that kind of control. But yeah, no, I, I get you, man. Gareth, you got anything to add to that discussion? So one of the things I'd love to see fade into history are amateur stewards and fluid or unclear rules of engagement, which play into what we've just been talking about. To promote the best racing, we need clear rules of engagement and a professional rotating set of stewards, much like one has professional referees or umpires in every other professional sport who are trained and paid and are better than what we've got going on now. So let's have the wishy-washiness fade away. Let's have clear rules of engagement come in. But two things that I would use to bring folks into the sport, go back and look at 2021, holy carp. It was a hella close year, like <laughs> throughout the field, not even just one and two, but everything was so close last year. It was absolutely fantastic. Like it was, I want to say like the closest year of racing we've probably had since what, maybe 2012, thereabouts? Uh, 2009, 2010, 2011, they were yeah. quite tight. Yeah. Right. Those three years. Yeah. So it, it was such a great tight year of racing. That's the first reason to come in. And with that, you can go and look at, as Spence said, go look at like the best overtakes and the best defenses of the year that when I mean, they're all on YouTube, Formula One's done a great job of state run TV, but 
we are here for the racing, not for the drama. And there was some fantastic racing this year. Think about Perez and Hamilton or Alonso and Hamilton or Vettel trying to chase down Ocon. There's just a bunch of fantastic racing last year. It's highlighted. Go take a look at it. And the other great reason to kind of come in now is, and we'll talk about this, we don't know where 2022 is going to take us. We've got a closed shakedown test that's going to go on where cameras aren't allowed in. We're not allowed to see what's going on with these brand new cars. We have no idea where things are going to shake out this year. And I, I really think that's just going to be super fun just to see maybe are things upended? Like, who knows? And the things need to fade out. I wrote down tribalism. The whole F1 needs to make we race as one a real thing and fade out some of the drama and the tribalism that's been maybe fed by the FIA radio and Drive to Survive and all the other bullshit. And they also need to make we race as one, like an actual promise kept with respect to maybe where you're going or who's at the races or which dictator's hand you're shaking on the podium. And the other thing needs to fade out is the spa debacle. The whole, well, it rained, so I guess we're just going to send the cars around for about four laps behind the safety car, count one lap, and give everybody half points. F1 is all about contingency plans to contingency plans. Like, Phil loves the strategy and the 30 or 40,000 different strategy simulations. Like, (laughs) F1 has to have a plan where it rains on Sunday. How do we actually have a race and not just a shit show at the fuck factory? Yeah, but that happens so infrequently. I agree with you that they need to have a better strategy with that, as well as I'm going to pick on them here already. Pirelli needs to have better win- uh, rain tires. Sorry, Spence. Almost said winter tires. I guess that's what I've been dealing with the last <laughs> few days. But no, I mean, it comes down to, have they thought about, and yes, okay, you're right. And I, I guess I'll give you this. On a contingency basis, they could be thinking about and should be thinking about <laughs> if cars are in rain, how is the water flowing off of them? How is the spray the spread working, right? Uh, I don't think they ever spent any time on that mm-hmm. because they focus all the time on the aerodynamics of making the cars go faster, but they don't worry about what the after effects necessarily are. But I think, yeah, there's an opportunity to improve there, but it's a one-off. I mean, when was the last time we've had a race do one race lap, essentially, or whatever the minimum, minimum standard is to qualify to do give half points? I just want to see contingency plans because it's related to our change in global climate and there's going to be more of it. And I would love to not see that happen again. So it's a minor thing, but they just have a think about how to put on a proper race or a proper qualifying. Like the qualifying spa was also a bit of a shit show because they kept running qualifying when they ought not to have been. Yeah, I think spa 2021 just needs to go away into the annals of history. <laughs> yeah, Those... we'll just have that fade away. How about you, Rand? What would you use to bring folks into the sport? I, I kind of agree with all of you on how great they're doing on YouTube and, you know, doing little segments and little things like that to really bring people into the sport. And I think I'd love to see again, right? F1 has this opportunity to modernize and use new social media, TikTok and things like that to really bring people into the sport. And that ties to what I want to see fade away, which was it was fun to watch Drive to Survive during the pandemic. There was no racing. There was nothing else going on. Gave us something to do, but I think it's run its course. I'm really not even looking forward to it. You know, I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it when it drops just to see how they handle things, but it won't be like Man, I'm so hungry for racing. You know, I'm going to sit down and binge this thing over a whole weekend. I just I don't see that happening anymore. So those are kind of the, you know, two tied to each other. I think the other thing that I, I really loved over 2020, 2021, and I know this is going to be a little bit controversial, but the fact that we actually had a chance to go to a bunch of tracks 
that we didn't get to go to in a long time. I would love to see kind of a mixture of like, we're going to do 23 races, right? Here's 12 set pieces and here's 12 that are sort of the rotating tracks around the world, right? Bring Vietnam back into the picture, bring other ones back into the picture and kind of know that there's going to be like the driver's championship, you know, it, it hinges on these set pieces, these things that we know that drivers and cars are going to do well on. But then part of the intrigue is we don't know these tracks and how they've evolved because they've been rotating and they've only had so many races on them and things like that. I, I would love to see that more. I, I think part of our cast has been talking about like, hey, you know what, here's the culture around these places that we're going and here are the, the things that I wish... F1 was doing a little bit more around some of that, right? Like, hey, let's highlight some of these places we're going and some of these areas around around the tracks. Spence? Hey, look, I love it. I don't think it's a controversial take. Like, I think it's uh. very reasonable, like, from a fan's perspective. I just, I don't know if it's practical, given that we just signed Qatar up for, like, a decade. We just signed Saudi Arabia up for a decade. Like we're having a lot of these places with no real racing pedigree, which are now part of the sport. That's like they're there, right? Yeah. So it's really going to limit the opportunity, I think, in the next couple of years to go forward to other places unless we're dropping like the Imolas of the world, right? The Monsters of the world, which I can't imagine they're going to do. Or we like make this a 30 race schedule, which God help you if you're a mechanic. Right. Like, I don't know how those guys would do like any more than 23 races in a year. I think that's the other thing that F1 has to look at is the number of races. I mean, 23, 24, it's great as a fan. Right. But is that really realistic for the teams and how they're set up and how they're geared to run and operate? And is it, are they giving us too much rather than giving us some suspense and some time in between? Yeah. I mean, look, we did this year a triple header that went from Mexico City to Sao Paulo, to Qatar. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine having to do just the travel? Forget about having to do any kind of work when you got there or stay up late to set up a garage and set up your car and everything else. Like, dear Lord, that must have been hellish. And we haven't even talked about like what the effect is on someone who has to spend three plus weeks away from their home and how that was further complicated by coronavirus restrictions and everything else. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, I cannot imagine having to do that any more than they already are. Like It's already becoming untenable in my mind. Correct. There was an article, I want to say it was on autosport.com, just from a mechanics perspective as to kind of the toll this takes in terms of like mental, physical, emotional, relationship, family. And a lot of the mechanics are broken by the end of the season, like physically, mentally broken and taking a lot of things to keep themselves working. Like it's not healthy and good. And their salaries are actually kind of shit relative to everybody else as well, especially in the cost cap era. So no more races and F1 needs to take care of the people who do the heaviest of lifting or empower the teams to do that. And the teams have to organizationally make that choice themselves. Yeah. I mean, as for the things I want to see fade away, it's funny. I mean, it came up and I think we're all sort of agreed on this. The split format was fun as an experiment, but I don't really like it. I don't think it Mm -hmm. adds anything truly to the sport and more so. The tribalism is just out of control and it doesn't add to the sport. It doesn't add to the enjoyment of the sport. It actually like it detracts. Yeah, I, too, keep away from F1 Twitter to a certain degree. I mean, 
kind of can't because our flipping F1 Twitter, I've got a ton of monitor and get things out there. And of course, that means following people on that stuff. And if but you're I, listening I just, to this, like, you should follow us at flipping F1 <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you for that plug, sir. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of vitriol. Like it's difficult to curate. And eventually it was like, oh, God, I don't want to talk about this. I just want to hang out with my three other panelists and just talk racing right? Talk sport. I really don't want to talk personalities. And, and this is me saying this, right? Like there are some big cultural issues that still exist in the sport. And, and I think they need to be discussed every once in a while and they will come up and they do need to be faced down. But I don't want that to be every single race. It just, there's a lot there. So yeah, I mean, all in all 2021, my last word on it was, it was a, a fun year. I don't think it was as fun as 2020. There was a lot of cool stuff that happened. It was interesting to kind of watch it play out, but I'm kind of stoked for the new hybrid era that's coming up. Yeah, gonna be good stuff. Any last words on this past season, fellas? I think 2021 was good. It was a really good era of racing. I agree with Gareth on that. It was probably second to none that we've seen in, in certainly the last 10 years. And that's what the sport was about. Yeah, there was a lot of drama, but that just happens. I think yeah, you know, there's so much happened and you actually go back and think about it. There was so many things that actually did happen. Right? I mean, you've got Aston Martin with the controversy at the beginning of the season, right? On I'd forgotten uh, about you know, that. Strollgate. Yeah, that's what I mean. There was so many things that ha- I I had forgotten about it wow. too, right? But there were so many things that had happened, right? I'd even forgotten about Lando almost winning Russia. That's the problem with the 23 race calendar. Right? We get spoiled for the amount of racing. Yeah. We do, right? And so we forget some of the really good, well, in some cases, fun and, and weird stuff that has happened all the way along. So I think it was a great season. I think it was a prime season to sort of start this and get involved and see how this works. And then I'm looking forward to 2022 for sure. Me too. Really looking forward to 2022. My my hope for the new regulations is that they do what people are saying they're supposed to do. They promote closer racing, brings the field together. And I hope we have multiple winners next year from teams other than Red Bull and Mercedes. Concur. Yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. I'll take the tags off if Daniel wins Monza again. But Randy, that will destroy the collectability of your <laughs> McLaren hat. I know, I know. Folks, we are an audio medium here, so I'll just let you know <laughs> that our host of the most, Randy, is wearing a modern McLaren hat. It's not a, not a vintage one, a modern one, and he's left all of the tags and stickers on. We don't know why. Do it that way you will, Internet. I don't know. I'm telling you, the young kids are going to be behind me on this one, man. Well, I, I think the challenge needs to be if McLaren wins a race in the first four races, you're taking the tags off. Oh, I see. We nailing this down now? All right. Well, I'm down. I want those tags gone. I'm not agreeing to that, but we'll see. Be like Cyril and wait a year before I start tearing tags off. <laughs> Let's move on to a segment called Circuit Breakers. We review the panel's favorite circuits from 2021 and where we're looking forward to heading in 2022. So, Gareth, you're our technical guy. Why don't you get us started on this? What were your sort of highlight circuits from this past year? Well, I was thinking about this. And the moments make the circuits. It can be the most random, random bit of racing. And I was just thinking, like, my favorite circuits are always the old school circuits. So, sure. Imola, Monza, Spa, Silverstone. We got great racing at all four of those circuits this year. Spa? <laughs> Sorry. He was asleep, Spence. Remember, he slept every morning for the race. Remember? 
<laughs> we that was awesome, dude. That was awesome. Spa was awesome. Um, we got a great qualifying performance at Spa because like Spa is always just beautiful. Mando's quality performance there. Okay, fine. Good yeah. save. <laughs> Those were just all they all threw up great races this year. Imola's not one that is a regular on the calendar right now, I believe. It's not on for next year, is it? Yes, Imola is on for Oh, we've got another Emilia Romagna. Perfect. It was yes. great. And then Silverstone's always great as well. George Russell's qualifying lap at Silverstone was one of my like highlights of the year, quite frankly. Oh, and that I, was something. And I, and I can't <laughs> wait to see him be there in what may hopefully be a leading pack car this year. And what the circuits I'm looking forward to are the ones we haven't been to because of stupid COVID. I am looking forward to Montreal and Suzuka. And you know what? I'm, I'm just going to throw it out. We've got a new circuit on the calendar. I'll let somebody else talk about that. But maybe something goes wrong, and maybe we can see the secure outer circuit come back again. I would love yeah. to see the secure outer loop come back again. Yeah, I'd love to see the outer loop come back. I will throw down and say my favorite track of the year, because it was just such a party. It's a fun track to watch, was Mexico. Man, it was so good to be back there. Watching that race on TV, like I was just excited for the atmosphere, excited for the whole thing. Like It was a fun technical track. You know, it was a good race all in all. I mean, I'm happy to have somebody disagree, but I loved it. That was great. Oh, Mexico's always a great party. You've got a baseball yeah. stadium full of drunk luchadores. <laughs> You've got people in wrestling masks, like drinking Tecate and screaming Sergio. Okay, okay, let's not go down this path too far. We do want to eventually maybe go to Mexico. <laughs> and I'll be wearing my luchadori mask and drinking Tecate and screaming Sergio's name. It'll be great. Okay. I will add two that I don't think have been mentioned yet. One is Bahrain. I, I guess it's probably just where it fell on the calendar last year. But it was like really the start of a great season, you know, and you could tell from that race that we were going to be in for something a little different than we'd seen in 2020, like maybe not some Mercedes dominant. I love that it's a night race. I love it in the desert. I, I really do enjoy that place. The other one for me as well is Turkey. I don't think anyone's talked about turn eight yet because it just keeps going <laughs> and going and going. Just and going, going, and going and going and going. And going. <laughs> Four apexes, Spencer. Four apexes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think we'll see Turkey next year, but I mean, you know, no. that is what it is. Maybe again, it'll slot in if, if someone else can't make it for some reason. Although I'm with what the panel's already said. I'd rather see the secure outer loop. I think that would be awesome. In terms of a place I'm looking forward to going to, all those things that we've said already, but the one that we haven't mentioned yet, and Gareth kind of alluded to it earlier, is Miami. Yeah. Like, I think Formula One is tailor-made for Miami. Oh, man. Like, I think this is going to be a great fit, and I think it's going to be a pretty fun week. I, I haven't seen much on the track yet, so we'll see if it's something that actually is, you know, makes for good racing. But, I mean, just in terms of a fit between the sport and the city, I mean, it doesn't get any better, I don't think. Oh, man. Miami's got that long back straight that is, like, if they are racing close like the cars are supposed to this year, like, that's just going to be straight wild. Like, amazing. And they've got, just after about, I think, turn four or five it is, yeah. where they've got sort of a more of a, a shallow, fast segment of a sweep yeah. that comes through. It's going to be interesting, because it's also a counterclockwise circuit. So it's very much counterclockwise, as in uh, Brazil was is a counterclockwise circuit. Yeah. So it could be interesting to see how they do and how the cars go around there. For me, though, I think my favorite track this year was Baku, just with the unpredictability of that circuit. I really enjoyed watching that. And I enjoyed seeing the cars go around yeah. there. And I agree with Gareth. You know, the tracks that we're not going to see are also high on my list. So for me, I like Portimao. I love how it sweeps. I love how that circuit looks and, and flows. And it just, 
It's up and down. It sweeps left and right. It's just a fantastic. So it must be amazing to drive. But, but right? I, I agree, but it's been kind of boring though, no? Like just from a racing perspective. Like I don't think anyone's been within a half a lap of Lewis Hamilton in the last couple of years. Huh. Could get interesting. With don't know. I didn't really measure it on whether or not the racing was exciting. <laughs> I measured on whether or not I enjoyed watching it. <laughs> No, and I think for 2022, I'm looking forward to going back to Melbourne, Montreal, those circuits, absolutely. But I'm really looking forward to seeing the changes that they make at Spa. Yeah. To see if they can keep the history of what is an amazing circuit intact. There's a grandstand on Eau Rouge now, which should be amazing. I know, I weird. know. Yeah. That's another grassy knoll that has been taken away by a grandstand. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, somebody likes to stand on grassy knolls from time to time. You don't want to pay for a grandstand ticket, why not? Absolutely. <laughs> Bill, you ever been to Dallas? <laughs> no, I haven't been to Dallas's grassy knoll. Thank you, Spence. <laughs> that was before my time, so you can't accuse me of that one. Uh, I thought you were probably right on the edge, but I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> not that old, Spence. Go rewatch the Zapruder film and find somebody with a mustache like that. For reference, folks, Phil's sporting a really great mustache. One other track that we need to talk about is Zandvoort came back this past year. And I think we all agreed it looked like it was a great freaking time. Like a party. Yeah, yeah, the atmosphere looked fun. Like, I would I like to go there? Yes. Was the racing good? Not really. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're different things. But, I mean, it seemed like a really, really fun time. And if we can get flipping F1 on the road, like, that would be one of the places I would be more inclined to go visit. There's a direct flight from Vancouver to Amsterdam, guys. So, mm. like, I'm in. <laughs> You're good. The rest of us may have, well, except for Gareth. He can do a direct flight, too. The rest of us have to hop around. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Netherlands would be all right. I think I'm actually kind of stoked to see Suzuka this year. Mm -hmm. I hope we get there, but it's been a long time. I love that circuit. It's so fun to watch. I completely agree with you, Randy. Back once upon a time, as a very young person, we had like a 486 computer, if you remember that. And do you remember the four-color F1 game that you controlled with the keyboard? I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, totally, yeah. But it was done like probably in the early 90s. And one of the tracks was Suzuka. And driving Suzuka, I don't know, just it always struck me as the coolest with the 180R and the crossover. That's like the yeah. one I remember from that game. Oh, totally. If you're just tuning in, uh, Flippin' F1 has gone 8-bit. It's high tech. Yeah, no, it's, I know that there are a lot of races this year. But it should be good. It jumps around a fair bit. Amelia Rano to Miami to Spain is a weird flyabout for sure. Well, don't forget you got Australia before. Yeah. So you're doing Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and Australia. Then you're doing Emilia Romagna. Yeah. Then you're doing Miami and back to yeah. Spain. Hopefully there's at least a week off between Australia and Emilia Romagna. Yeah, oh, there, yeah is. there is. Okay. There's two weeks. But we do have a back-to-back Bahrain and Saudi. I mean, that, that should be fine. Yeah. I mean, that's not that far. Yeah, and then we hit Australia, Imola, Miami, Barcelona, and Barcelona's back-to-back with Monaco, and then Baku, and then we come here, go back to the UK for Silverstone, Red Bull Ring for one time this year, Paul Ricard, where they serve Pernod Ricard, Phil, (laughs) Hungarog Ring, Spa, Zandvoort, Monza, That's the Hungaro Ring, but thanks. Marina Bay, Singapore's back. I don't think we've mentioned that. Like, I always love the race that comes up in Singapore, another night race under the lights. Some of it can be a bit boring, but some of it can be pretty good. Suzuka, like Japan, US, and then you do the Southern Loop with the Mexico City and Interlagos. We end up at Yas Marina at the end of it. All right, let's get into donuts and dogfights because this one should be 
fairly straightforward. Let's talk about the 2022 pairings and man. What are you looking forward to this year? So we'll go team by team. Let's start off with Alpha. Why not? Which is one of only three teams that actually has a driver lineup change this year. The other seven have been static. Guys, it's going to be a bloodbath. Right? There's really not a lot to talk about here. Like Guan Yu Zhou is going to come in and wipe the floor with Bottas? No, no, no. If he's within 35 points of Valbot, then Valbot has failed. Right? Like, I don't think this should be close at all. And look, I, I, I don't think that he's the worst driver to come into F1. But I mean, I don't see that one being particularly close at all. And, and Valtteri really needs to wipe the floor with him. Like, if there's any doubt at all that Valtteri's number one, like, that's going to be very difficult for him. Well, I would go out on a limb and say that the points delta would be similar to, like, the Gasly-Sonoda delta from this year, which was, like, 80 points almost. I just don't see Valtteri being able to get that many points in an alpha. I mean, who knows? <laughs> but we, we don't know, know what, what the, the car's going to look like when it thing. comes out, right? Yeah. But, but I'm assuming that Alfa Romeo is going to be kind of a back marker slash trying to hang on to the back of the midfield. Valtteri maybe can get, maybe if he has a good season, 35 or 40 points, right? If, I don't think that Joe will be anywhere close to that. But. I think Joe also is going to end up facing all kinds of comparisons. You know, like, it's going to come up this year, right? They should have partnered Valtteri with Piastri and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I think that's all going to play into that whole pairing there. One thing about that pairing, though, is according to Fred Vasseur, they've basically got budget cap money. Yeah, they're hitting the upper limits now. Joe's bringing up sponsors to bump them up to the budget cap limit, so maybe they can do something with that. Yeah, maybe. But can they use it effectively to bring that team forward? I mean, that's a big question. I'll agree with Spence. I don't see the same delta spread that you would have with uh, Gasly and Sonoda, just because the, the team's not going to get that, that many points. Yeah, fair enough. I don't see Alpha coming out swinging so super strong. Well, and this is something about the kind of Okay, maybe the midfield's going to be super extra tight this year. Somebody still has to finish 11th through 20th. That makes sense. All right, Williams, we got Albon making his way back to Formula One, and we've still got our other Canadian, Nicholas, who changed the history last year. So I think this is where Albon has to come out of the gate swinging hard. And basically, if he wants to secure his future in Formula One, he's going to have to show that he can knock the Latifi right out of there. I don't think that's as easy as you might think. Like, I think that Nick Latifi is kind of rounding into a pretty decent little driver. Like, is he world championship caliber? Probably not. But was he a solid F1 driver? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, certainly it looked like he was the second half of last year. And I would be shocked if he gets demolished by Albon. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think that's what Albon has to do if he wants to secure. I mean, he's, I think he's got a one-year deal with Williams. I don't think he's going to get demolished, but I think Albon knows this is his shot. He's got to be winning the head-to-head qualifying. He's got to win the head-to-head in points. He's got to finish races, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's the big thing. He's got to finish races, and he's got to finish races in the points. All right. Go back to the other Alpha, Alpha Tari, with Gasly and Sonoda for the second year of their pairing. Sonoda's got to step up and show that he deserves to be there. I think he's got to close the, the point gap to Gasly by more than half if he wants to stick around for another year. And I don't think that's going to be easy because Gasly is going to be out to make a point that he deserves a better drive. I think Gasly wants that second Red Bull seat. Yeah, I think he's hungry for it. But I think he grew up a whole lot in the second half of last year's season and really started to show some of the quality that got him into Formula One in the first place. So it was a little bit like calm down and finish races. Like nothing happens unless you get the damn race done. Right. I think I have to say I will miss the Yuki overly excited radio that we used to get. I mean, if that's no longer a thing, it was always, 
one of the highlights of my Sunday. <laughs> Hyperactive Yuki's had too much Red Bull radio. Happy. Yuki, push, push. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. All right, let's talk Aston. We've got Stroll and Seb again doing their thing. I don't know what I don't to make of it. I want to talk about that one. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I'm kind of curious how long Vettel's going to hang on in that team with Daddy Stroll pulling all the strings. Because it can't be easy. I mean, it cannot be easy being a world champion sitting in a car and the team essentially favoring the number two driver. Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. I agree. I mean, I think it's an important point. I just have nothing actually like that is like smack on pressure. Do, yeah. do you really think the team prefers Lance? I mean, look, obviously the guy's dad owns a team, right? Like he is the focus. <laughs> but have we ever seen any actual evidence of Vettel's race being compromised to help Lance? Like, I'm asking the question. I don't know the answer. I can't recall. I'll be honest, I've never really so. studied that close yeah. to it. But, it, you know, that pressure's got to be there, right? I'm not saying it's the team themselves. I'm saying it's probably more upper management within the team. Yeah, I mean, I have to say three weeks ago, this was one of the teams that I was the most excited to see what was going to happen to them. After Otmar left, I now have very little faith that they're going to improve upon seventh in the constructors. It just, it would seem to me like they must be in such disarray over there without a clear leader that it's not going to be a very good season. It's certainly not a good start to the season for these guys. And this is where I go off and be completely yeah. absurd, but really, I just want Vettel to retire and become race director, and then they can just throw Piastri in that seat and be a whole different season altogether. <laughs> that would be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> he'd be brilliant. He'd, he'd, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Right I think he would. Oh, he would be fantastic yeah. with it, yeah. Because not only is he very direct and he knows the stuff, he's also fucking hilarious in a German guy doing his best impression of British humor way. Yeah. Yeah, he's super safety-minded, too. Of anybody that's got a handle on the rules, I would think it's Seb Vettel. Yeah, like, well, not only are you getting a 10-second stop and go some penalty points, you're also going to go yeah. around and pick up litter after the race. Community service as part of <laughs> yeah, the punishment yeah, for every penalty. Service. I like that. <laughs> Realistically, like Vettel finished ahead of Stroll by a little bit this past year. Would have been more, but for that stupid technical infringement. Was it Baku? I think it was Baku. Yeah. yeah. No, was, was it Hungary? Was it Baku? Hungry. It was Hungry, yeah. He would have been on the yeah, podium hungry. but for one leader. If Stroll gets his ass kicked that much again this year, I'm sure Daddy Stroll is results-oriented. At some point, he's going to be like, listen, son. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, one would think. All right, let's talk about everybody's favorite team, Haas, with Young Mick and, of course, Mazaspin doing his thing. I'm actually excited. I'm excited to see if Haas's strategy of zero development last year and basically putting zero money into a car literally like zero piecing a car together out of pieces pays off for 2022 sure. i mean if that was the right call then you know more power to gunter steiner like they're geniuses right and, and to bring two rookies in just to drive the team and then to learn how to race and then push them forward i think without doubt i expect mick to do very well if the Haas car is good i think they'll score some points with Mick. Nikita, <laughs> qualification. he's had a lot of bad rap, right? And I'm not, I still think there's, if he's sitting in the car, maybe he'll surprise us and actually be able to race. I'm not saying there's not a driver there, but I don't see the driver harmony that I would see on other teams. I think we started to see that at the end of the year, that there was, you know, starting to be some friction between Mick and Mazepin. Yeah, but how much of that is played up to? Well, I mean, that's fair. You don't know, right. but... 
I mean, you could pretty much go back to Baku and say there was friction back then, even, as Nikita tried to, well, in mixed words, drive him off the road. I don't know how much of that friction that we were seeing in the media at the end of the year is real. Look, we do know this. They had a big advantage in terms of wind tunnel time. They've got some Ferrari personnel over there now. Hopefully that means they've used that to their advantage. And, you know, it's going to be a more competitive car. I, I don't have any hopes for Haas winning races this year. But I'd like to see them in the fight. I'd like to see them kind of middle of the back in the midfield, like fighting for points regularly. And I think that would be a real win. Yeah, I feel that. That's solid. Alpine, Ocon, and Alonso, the old man fighting for it still. And nobody says anything. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, this is Endstone. This is just not a team yeah. that I've ever really been passionate about. I think the last time I rooted for this team was way back when actually Michael was driving for them back in 96. So I don't know. I feel like you Fernando know? may end Ocon this year. Like he may end him. You think? Yeah. How? Tell me more. I think that Fred is, one, he's that good, even mm-hmm. at what, 41, I guess he'll be? He's 40, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't think Esteban has been the talent that he was tapped to be when he came into the sport. He had a win last year. It was, you know, in a kind of a crazy race. I think that that car may be a bit more competitive this year, and I think we're going to see Fred really kind of use it to its fullest potential, and I'm guessing there's going to be a 30-plus point differential between the two of them. You think it's going to be that big? 30 points? I think it's going to be that big. 30 points. Really? Wow. I don't think so. I think Ocon is going to be much closer than that. I'm going to be the guy here that says Alonso at 40 years old in this sport, if he does do what you're saying, Spencer, then he's a God-given genius. All right? Think I don't think he really is. I think he's good, without a doubt. I think he's fantastic. He has El Plan. El Plan, exactly. But I don't think he is <laughs> still up there to do that. Well, so, all right, let me throw it out there then, right? Like, which one of them? Because, I mean, Esteban won a race this year, and it was a fun race to watch to see him win one. Mm-hmm. You know, who takes one this year, Esteban or Fred? Or neither? Fred. Esteban. I would say Fred. But, I mean, yeah. let's be honest, Esteban won that race last year because of Fred. Fred. Yeah. yeah. Right? It was a combination, I said at the time, Nick Latifi actually held everyone up for quite a few laps when he was in third at the beginning. And then it was, you know, Alonso. Nick Latifi, yet again, made the difference. He's had quite a yeah. year, Nick Latifi. Yeah, he did. did. Nick Latifi, oh, very consequential guy. race wins, I tell you. Yeah, his own. And then ultimately the whole championship. Uh, I can see the Netflix spot now. Nick Latifi, difference maker. <laughs> so, I mean, what was the Delta in 2021? The teammate point battle between them, let's see. It was a seven-point Delta, by the way, to Fred. Okay, seven-point delta, and that included the win, right? Yeah. So I think that easily could have been a 16, 17-point gap, right? And this is Alonzo coming back at 40 after a couple of years out of the sport. sport. Yeah. Like, guys, I don't think he's going to be any worse when he shows up in March this year than he was last year. This is kind of where I'm going, right? Fred knows the car now, right? Well, and they split qualifying between them, dead heat. I'd argue he doesn't know the car now. None of the drivers know the car, Randy. I mean, it's a it's whole, a whole new, new car. car. But I think he, he knows the team. He knows the team better. He understands this stuff. and he Absolutely. And it's going to be a lot fundamentally different about all the cars. But I think to a certain degree, you know the way your team does things. Let me ask you this question. With Prost leaving, is Briatore coming back? Let's hope not. That'd There's be, rumors. That'd be something. Uh, be I something. thought he got a permanent ban because of crash. Game. He did, but it got overturned yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Really? 
I mean, he's a human piece yeah. of shit. So he ought not to come back. Yeah, tell us Just you're to really be cute. clear, the views that Gareth has made are not ours. <laughs> Anyone know what the libel laws are like in France? I don't know. Yeah, they're not particularly great. First of all, it's slander because it's spoken, not libel. Libel's written. They're both no. a tort of defamation. <laughs> and he defenses always the truth. And he instigated Crashgate amongst many other devious, underhanded, horrible things he did while he was an F1 team principal. So, yeah. The views expressed on Flippin' F1 are those of our own, and if you had a problem with it, talk to our two lawyers. All right, uh, let's get into some of the juicier ones, starting with the one that I've really been thinking about a lot, Ferrari, Leclerc, and Carlos. Oh, that is just awesome. That is positively an amazing pairing. They're so close. I think Sainz has a little bit of the edge right now on Leclerc. I'm looking forward to seeing how they really come through this, but I'm excited because they are really two complementary teammates. Yeah, I, I think that there's going to be sparks there this year because I, I think that Leclerc is, whether they want to say it or not, he's the golden child, right? He's number one there. And I think Carlos, man, he had a hell of a year last year and I'm not expecting that to be any different this year. And I'm really thinking that that car, I, I really think Ferrari is going to be at the front of the field. And if these guys are actually fighting for the world championship, I think that there's going to be all hell breaking loose there. I think so too, right? I, this is where I thought the most juicy storylines are. I, I think both of these guys could fight for number one driver and it's going to be an internal fight for that. I, I think they, you know, Claire was sort of anointed, but science showed up and he's, just killing it on the circuit. But I also will tell you, Ferrari is pragmatic. They're not Red Bull in the sense that they'll dump everything behind one person. They're pragmatic. Both their styles help to build the team. So I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be juicy. It's going to be fun. But I mean, any times you put two teammates that are, have a competitive car that are competing for, for wins, it's going to be enticing. But uh, I don't think it's going to be fireworks, as you say, Spence. I think it's going to be a bit more calmer than that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I think you look to 2019 Ferrari as kind of a, your best reference to how that's going to go. Like, I think it'll be civil. I don't think we're going to be getting to like Lewis, Nico kind of levels of conflict, but I don't know that these guys are going to be recording a whole lot of things for Instagram together in 2022. That's my guess. It's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing, though. <laughs> All right. Well, with three teams left, let's stay boring for a little bit and talk Max Checo over Red Bull. <laughs> Well, like, well, what's going to happen there? I mean, I, I more of the same. Yeah, Checo yeah. will be better. Yeah, it's going to be the same. Checo will be better, but he'll be the same. He's going to get his ass handed to him. This is insane. Checo has to come out of the gate swinging right from the beginning, like he was doing towards the end of the season, not what he was doing at the beginning of twenty twenty one. He doesn't have the excuse of getting used to yeah. the car, so he's got to be on form. Otherwise, Red Bull's going to dump him. They've got too many other good, talented drivers in their pockets. If he doesn't, then 2023 is going to be Verstappen Gasly, essentially, yeah. or Verstappen Schumacher, or whatever. Something like that, yeah. I doubt that one. Yeah, More likely that. Verstappen Gasly or Verstappen Albon, depending on how Albon does this season. I don't know that Albon makes it back up to the big team. I think Gas is the guy who moves up. If, Strangest yeah, things that happen. Yeah, well, this is true. This is true. One of the fun uh, pairings this year, as it was this past year, is Lando and Daniel. I think this one's going to be competitive, though. I think it'll be much closer. I don't know if Danny can really assert dominance there this year, but I think you're going to have two guys that are relatively close. I'm going to say Lando, but inside 10 points. 
Oh. I actually think Lando's going to thump him. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think it's going to be Lando by like 30 or 40 points. Really? Really? I had Lando by 20, but not 10. I kind of split the middle there. I think McLaren's going to do well, but I think Lando's going to be the one that's going to be pushing it. I think you're going to see a bit of a resurgent Danny Ricardo this year. I mean, you look at his first year with Renault, it wasn't great. Like, he really fought Nico the whole time, right? It was competitive. He absolutely worked Esteban the next year. And he was, what did he finish? Fifth in the driver standings and probably what was the fifth quickest car on the grid? It's pretty good. Yep. Right? The, the, the man can still drive. I, I have no doubt about that. I, I think he's going to be... Not doubting that. He, he's going to be back. I think he's going to be much more competitive. Yeah. All right. And finally, everybody's favorite team, Merck. We got Lewis and George. This is going to be an interesting one. You put an asterisk beside that? Is it yeah, George and who? Lewis, potentially. Yeah, Lewis, uh, potentially, you know. yeah. I mean, we don't know if he's coming back. We don't know what's going on there, so. Can Let's... we also search, like, George and Nick DeVries? Who else could it possibly be? If Lewis doesn't come back, the gates are open as to who it could be. George and Stoffel. Honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I sent you guys an article not too long ago where. <laughs> it's George and Vettel. I mean, yeah, it could be anybody. George and Vettel was, like, was what, the, yeah. what the paper was saying. So, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I, I think it's all open. If Hamilton decides not to race, yeah. then the teammate slot, it's a big question mark, and it's anybody from the grid that's currently there or has potential. Well, look, we know Grosjean's had a seat fitting there already, so maybe they can get him back yeah. in the car. I was going to say, think? let's engage in some yeah. rampant speculation. Nah. Yeah. yeah. If you're Merck and, and Lewis is like, nope, I'm out, yo. Who do you go get? Gasly? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I assume Gasly is under contract at Red Bull, but I'm guessing. So we're recording this on the 30th of January. I'm assuming we're going to have an answer on this by the time Merck unveils their car. No. I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. Well, who's going to be no. there at the unveiling? Not if Merck and Hamilton are holding true to what they're saying, or have been saying, or has been said about them, that they won't actually confirm anything until the ruling comes out. This is going to go down to the wire. And when we're talking Bahrain test even, or even the Bahrain Grand Prix itself. Do you think Lewis is actually not going to sit in the car? For this test coming up in Barcelona? He may not. I don't know. Like, Strange yeah, things have happened. Yeah, I think it's just wildly, it's all over the place now. He's thrown his toys out of the pram. He's right to be upset. That's the best way of saying it. But he, he may just be like, no, F it, I'm not going to this test. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, that's not going to bode well for them this year if he does that. No, it's not. I think the turmoil is leaving Mercedes with a lot of big question marks and gaps, and I think that's not going to help them going into the season. I think there's a lot of big question marks and gaps at Mercedes. They've lost a lot of people recently, like kind of key people who've been with Brackley for decades. Yeah, from the beginning. So, and I think you touched on this before, Phil. Like, there's some organizational changeover going on. Yeah, I think we talked about it earlier in the season. Having a study of Mercedes' organizational structure and changes that have been going on would be an interesting conversation about what maybe not to do in some cases. They've lost a lot of people. That's a sign that there's turbulence and turmoil within the ranks. Uncertainty with Lewis not coming back. Yeah, that's not helping their case at all. I think if Lewis comes back and he is racing alongside Russell, yeah, I mean, there's no competition there. Even I'll say Lewis is going to commandingly lead Russell away. You think Lewis is going to wipe the floor with George? Wow. I don't know, man. I don't don't know about that. I I like George. Don't get me wrong. I like George. But I think if Lewis comes back, yeah, he's coming back to set the tone. He's not going to come back and do a half-ass match. I'm going to frame it this way. I think Lewis can beat George. I do not think he's going to do it convincingly. If at all. Now, let's also be clear. When I say convincingly, we're talking points. We're not talking 100 uh, points. So here's the interesting question, right? Does George play the team game? 
right? In the same way that Valbot did or tried to at times. No chance. Depends what's in his contract. No chance. Yeah. Not if he wants to be a world champion. He needs to step out. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see this. All right. So while we're wildly speculating, though, let's ask the big question. Which team does the Hulkenback for at least one race? Aston. I mean, he's a reserve driver. It's got to be him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fair. Hold on. Who are the Mercedes engines teams? Yeah, it's going to be Aston yeah. if he comes back for anybody. Well, it's when Vettel moves to Mercedes because Lewis doesn't come back. <laughs> Hulkenberg rejoins the former Force India, which he drove for. Yeah. And comes like third in the championship or something, of course. <laughs> right. But on. still doesn't get a podium. Love that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't get a podium. <laughs> Brutal. Awesome. And that concludes Donuts and Dogfights, which is uh, our look at the 2022 pairings. All right, let's jump into our next segment, which I think is going to be a really fun one. We're going to this one free practice one. Everybody gets two minutes to rant on whatever they like about the sport, anything at all in F1. And then after the rant's done, the panel reacts and we just gab. So, Professor, get us started up. Two minutes on the clock. Go. Two minutes. Man, I don't know if I can rant for that long on any topic. I've heard you rant for more than two minutes on all kinds of topics. <laughs> Yeah, but on one topic, I can do like 20 topics in two minutes. Clouds came up the other day. You went <laughs> off on that for quite a while. <laughs> two minutes is a warm-up for you, Phil. Yes, everyone who's listening, I do have an ability to talk. Sorry? No, I. for me, it's the race stewards I have to rant about. And the inconsistency, I mean, we talked about this earlier all the way through. The inconsistency with the rules. If the racing zone is in between the white lines, then that's the racing zone. At every track around the world, no matter what. Car goes over it, you're penalized. Be simple, be straightforward. Now, for me, the stewards, their inconsistencies, how they're set up, it almost feels like they're not as educated as they could be to be effective as judge and jury on racetracks. Those are the parts that, that frustrate the, the public when they're watching the races and can't understand why somebody gets a penalty on one race, but not on another race. Or one driver gets a penalty at that track and the other driver does the exact same thing, gets let off. So, yeah, for me, I'm not going to rant for two minutes. I'm just going to rant for a few seconds because I think we can all talk from that. I always find that YouTube reaction videos are the cheapest kind of video that somebody can do. So my reaction to this is, yeah, Phil, I agree with you. I just agree with you. <laughs> Good point. Carry on. Wow. Thank Fair you. Enough. All right. <laughs> you know, what? I think definitely stewarding needs to be rethought. I know it's more expensive. I know it requires more thinking and, and more organization, but I'd love to see it be like almost every other sports federation in the world where you have referees that are certified to do this and they fly them in from wherever, right? Like today's Canada-US soccer match, the referees and the officials were from all over Europe and I think one in Central America. You know, and they, these guys are certified to do that job. They flew them in just to do that one and then away you go, right? I think, and I mean, again, I know that I'm throwing myself out to be corrected here, but I think the stewards are local for the most part, or there's, I don't know how that all works. So the local automotive sporting organization. ASN, yeah. they get to appoint one steward, and they typically do. And then the FIA appoints the other three. And of those other right. three, one is a driver steward. And so there, there's always one who's usually local to that country, member of that ASN. And then everybody right. else, you actually end up seeing a reoccurring pattern of Jerry Connolly, Emmanuel Pero, Tom Christensen, 
and a few others who seem to be kind of the regular stewards. But again, they're just getting like room and board to do this effectively. They need to be, as you said, professional, paid, compensated, trained to a standard. In soccer referees, if you are refereeing any sort of international caliber soccer, there are fitness tests, there are knowledge tests, there's actually like evaluation of your calls wherever you're refing. And there's a whole bunch of anti-corruption training and protections that they put in as well. It's serious and for real. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like there's full on certification. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's what I would like to see. Absolutely. I agree with you, Phil. I think the stewarding needs to be rethought and professionalized, so to speak, so that the sport can maintain a different degree of objectivity and integrity and consistency. Right. Big one. Well, I think consistency is Absolutely. That's the biggest thing, yeah. right? If we look at some of the, the stuff that we put in the steward sewers this year all the way through, it's a lack of consistency for pretty much every single track that has gotten them onto that listing. Not that that's scientific, but that's what we can use to measure the inconsistency. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Right on. Well, I think we talked that one out. Gareth, you got your two minutes. I had something completely unrelated, but then Phil brought up what Phil brought up. So I really need to speak about everybody in their radio etiquette, the drivers, the drivers need to shut the fuck up and stop whining. There is so much whiny bullshit on the radios. And whether we're hearing that from drivers to teams, hoping that Michael Massey hears it, or teams to the FIA, it's the, oh, he wasn't 10 cars behind me on the safety car restart. He cut the corner. He didn't give back the advantage. This is garbage. This is dangerous. So much of it is just grade A bullshit. And they sound like a bunch of whiny little babies. And they really need to, as part of reimagining how the race director role is, bring into it, okay, we'll hear you when you say something happened on track, but you don't have to whine like your European soccer player about it in order to make your point. Make your point in a succinct, professional manner. Keep driving, keep your head down, and shut the fuck up. So that's my. One minute and 10 seconds rant. I've made this point of this podcast before. I don't know why you're surprised that these people that are being paid these ungodly sums of money to drive a car around a track are prima donnas. Yeah, there it is. It's like it goes through the territory. You're getting paid $10 million a year to do anything. You're going to be a bit of a prima donna. And, and that's just what you're hearing. That's what the radio is bringing to you. It's letting you know what these guys are like. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm one better curation of what radio comes on. I, I think I'd like to see it spread out more, right? I, I think we hear the same couple racers for the most part on the radio. We don't hear sort of the really broad spectrum of what's going on. Here in the broad spectrum, because you can hear it on the F1 TV streaming. Yeah, you can. And you can hear it on some of the clip shows they do, like the How This yeah. Happened clip shows. There's one I listened to where they had inter-team radio, like between like the strategy department and the race engineer and a bunch of other stuff is fantastic. And that was all very much like the fantastic different permutations and combinations of what they could do to place in that race. So we're saying the same thing. I would like to see the broad spectrum, but I think what we end up hearing during the race on just like, I'm not talking the F1 TV feed, right? Like I'm talking just like the straight race feed. We hear the same three or four racers talking and we don't hear the broad spectrum of other radio calls that would make it interesting. They are prima donnas. Of course, they're going to complain. What else do you think is going to come over the radio? Although I do have to crack Spencer where he's like, these guys are getting paid millions of bucks. I mean, a lot of them are paying to be there or daddy's paying. Somebody's paying them millions of bucks though, to be there. I mean, that's the other thing. They, none of these race drivers are poor. 
Some are more wealthy than others, but none of them are poor. I don't disagree that the radio calls and everything like that needs to be, there needs to be more etiquette into it. I don't think we need to get rid of it other than the ones to the FIA, because I think that is just an uncalled for thing. But I think it's interesting to hear how they're thinking, how they talk. The only thing I'll say that needs to happen is that within the teams, they need to establish better lines as to if your race engineer says something, who's got the final call? Because that's often what we hear as the, the, the crazy moments happen where Hamilton's questioning Bono. Like, you know what? If your race engineer says this is the strategy we're going with. Lando Norris, Russia, rain tires. Exactly, right? You know what? Listen to your team. But that's something that the teams have to establish early on with their driver. And then they have to stick with it. Yeah, that's a culture thing. I don't know that really has to do much with the radio. I don't know that I need to be listening to the debate, though. That doesn't add to my racing experience. Like, listening to Lando say no to his team like ah oh, whatever just get on with it it doesn't i don't understand how it can like that was part of the drama like will he pit for rain tires that was so key to your understanding of how was this guy who was going for his first win how was he going to finish the race would he hold off hamilton like it went to the heart of the strategy like i thought the radio in that particular race, that was like, incredibly central to your understanding of what was happening. I agree, totally. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit old, older school this way, but I think the fun of the discussion afterwards is, wait a minute, was that the driver's call? Was that the racer's call? Like, who made that? And you read the process stories, and eventually the story comes out. I didn't need to hear it real time. No, no, no. It adds to the racing experience because these are live calls and live decisions that people have to make. To be part of that is fantastic. That's part of the experience of the sport. That brings people in and will engage. Yeah, I don't know about that. Because you want to telegram about what the pit board said on lap 42? I really kind of do. Randy only wants to read about it old school method. You know? I do. I want... Can you send snail mail anybody? I want something to learn about after the race. <laughs> Randy wants to read about it in his hard copy newspaper the next day. I was going to say, and Canada Post is dying for Randy's mail to come in. There is something about unfurling that paper and reading the race report, man. Spence, you're up. Two minutes. All right, so I'm going to build on kind of what we were just talking about and something that we have talked about already tonight. And I kind of kept my mouth shut through it all. I'm going to preface what I'm going to say by saying there are cultural problems in our sport. There's too much tribalism in this sport and that none of it has anything to do with FIA radio. At the end of the year, Chase Carey and Stefano Domenicali are standing there saying, are you not entertained doing their best Russell Crowe impression. The FIA radio is incredibly entertaining. I love it. It adds a whole new dimension to the thing. This is an entertainment product after all. Like They need to keep us entertained and engaged with what's happening. I love listening to Toto sound like a spoiled school child. I love listening to Horner sound just as bad. It really was greatly entertaining for me. And I would hate to see that go. And you even admitted earlier, Randy, at the start of the year, you were for it. It wasn't until like the last race where it really became problematic for you, right? But some of the things said over the radio, like trying to influence safety calls, I'm not for that. But the entertainment value that we get listening to these guys whine over FIA radio, tremendous. It's, it's one of these. It's chef's kiss. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I wouldn't want to change it at all. <laughs> yeah, like, I, will I agree. completely agree with Andrew Spencer on that. Absolutely 100%. Oh, good. 
He just schooled us in why the sport exists, which is entertainment. Yeah, huh? Right. It's not a sport. It's entertainment. If it's not entertaining, none of this exists, well, right? This, this so I'm saying, true. like, this is just... Absolutely. So then, yes, I get your argument. If you're saying that, then sure. Let's keep all the radio. But for crying out loud, can somebody tell these babies to stop throwing their toys no, out no, of No, no, because crib? then it's not Although entertaining. It, it's an important facet of it is that we see what fucking idiots they are. Yeah, like, if you're going like, to give they're them... They're on the record as being idiots. Let's stop calling them idiots because they're not. It, in the reality of it, it's the height of the moment. It's being immersed in a competitive sport that is beyond limits. They've got everything on the line. They're down to the wire. You know... You're making a lot of excuses there, Philip. No, no. They both admit they pushed the lines on the last race a little bit. That's not excuses. That's what happens when you're in the moment. Rational thinking goes out the window. But that's good. Right. They're letting us in, right? We're seeing what we shouldn't see. And I think that's really entertaining. No, that's part of the fan engagement is the behind the curtain. This is why F1 is doing so good lately, right? It's things like this, which, you know what? I get it's not normal. It's not what has been done, right, traditionally. But I remember sitting on my couch... And seeing the FIA radio, because it wasn't something I knew was coming. And when I saw, I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you at this point what team was on the radio to Massey or who it was. But when I saw that the first time, I said, wow, that's pretty cool. And I bet if we went back and listened to the Monaco or the Azerbaijan podcast again, we referenced it in that podcast and said, wow, wasn't FIA radio so cool? It led us behind the scenes, behind the curtain. We saw what we don't usually get to see, and it's been fantastic. I, I can't believe anyone would want to get rid of it. Yeah, but it's also led us in behind the curtain and seen a couple of things that we don't want to see, which is, you know what? I don't want to see Toto Wolf throw his headphones across a room. Really? No, not really. I'm all in on that. I'll, I'll watch Toto smash his bows against the desk any day of the week. I was going to say, that's actually product placement that Bose pays Liberty for. Bose pulled their sponsorship this year, guys. Spence, I'm going to go back to your core argument that the whole thing is about entertainment. And truthfully, every professional sport is about entertainment, but you don't get that level of what's happening behind the scenes. And I know that I'm a purist when it comes to this stuff. Sport is entertaining because of the competition because of the thing that happens on the field. And I didn't like it when they put mics on football players and you hear what they're saying on the side of the field. I don't like listening to basketball players argue with the refs and they've stopped miking that for a reason. I don't listen to Olympic athletes try to argue with the refs. Well, it doesn't happen because you'll get thrown out of the games. But I just, I love the sport for the sport itself, for the pure competition. I don't buy into that you need to add things like this to be gimmicky to make the sport itself enjoyable. Yeah, there is an entertainment value and there's some things that add some drama and I will give it to you, right? Those FIA radio, totally memeable. I've been making the Michael, I've sent you an email joke the entire time throughout this entire season. It was funny as hell and it's totally memeable and I get that that's kind of part of the modernization because you got to get something that you can meme or that you can use in social media, but I don't know that it adds that much that it's not replaceable. Okay, so two things. One, you hit upon something that I had actually forgotten about. The Michael, I've sent you an email thing. I mean, that was absolute gold when that happened at Silverstone, right? I mean, that was fantastic. I mean, we were talking about that for weeks when it happened, right? And like, like that was great. But two, like the other thing that I watch a lot of when I'm not watching F1 is I watch a lot of golf, right? Because I, I golf a lot in my private time. And I love listening to the conversations that golfers have with their caddy, 
right? Like getting that kind of insight into what's going through the mind, what are they thinking, what's their strategy, what are they trying to guard against, it makes it a much better viewing experience for me as a fan. So when F1 lets me into the pit lane and says like, look, this is what the team principal is thinking, this is what the sporting director is thinking, and this is how it's happening, like this is how the interaction is going with Michael Massey and race control, I think it's awesome. I watch baseball, which some would argue is equally as boring to watch as, as golf. And I don't want to see what the conversation is between the pitching coach and the pitcher or the manager and the guys talking to you. Actually, Randy, I think that would make baseball so much okay. more interesting. I would probably watch it because of that. I was going to say, there is a very popular YouTube channel, which is devoted to picking out the lip reading in baseball. It's called yeah. John Boy Media. It's fantastic. <laughs> so those guys have built a channel around lip reading in baseball because people want that it's hugely popular it has well over a million subscribers yeah fans of the sport want to know how the sport is made they want to see how the sausage gets made and they want to be part of the action because you know who amongst they us do. hasn't daydreamed that we're the team principal or the whatever like let's have some more insight into how these make the decisions and i will say like spence and i are for this you two are against this so the under 40 crowd definitely into this over 40 crowd totally like send it to me in a newspaper summary written by a third party <laughs> sorry i know like you're you're on my side here but for the record you and i are barely under 40 as, we're under 40 for the moment we're, we're under as, 40 at the moment but we're still under 40 which is the technical as Phil said sometimes you just got to define the lines one way or another so that you can stay in a lane <laughs> gareth is trying to stay in a lane there it's not quite working though no, I, you know what? I actually get the argument. I see what you're saying. And from an entertainment perspective, I totally understand what you're saying. As a sport enthusiast, as a Formula One enthusiast, yeah, I don't enjoy being behind the curtain on some of that stuff. I like hearing what the drivers and the engineers are doing and the teams to the drivers. I think that's the interesting piece. The back-end stuff to the FIA or to the stewards, maybe that's what gives me reason to yell at the stewards all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree, Phil. Like, to me, it's Christmas morning, right? The fun's in the unwrapping. You know, learning the stuff after the fact. I like being a spectator, I guess, in the end. I, I don't need to be all right smack in the middle of the action. This is the ultimate version of that. <laughs> not only do you get to see what's happening, but you also get to hear what's happening, right? And like, let's not pretend that this stuff that happens over the radio is inconsequential. It's not. People are doing it for a reason. They're trying to influence what happens at race control, right? So like your understanding of that as a fan, I think is core to your understanding of what's happening and why people are making the decisions they're making. Imagine if you had been watching Abu Dhabi, right? The last couple of laps. And all you see is you're watching Nick Latifi goes in the wall you have the safety car period and the commentators are there, Brundle and Crofty are talking and they don't really know what's going on. And then you see a, a sign that flashes up that says, okay, these four cars are going to overtake the safety car and then boom, you're racing. Like you'd have no understanding of kind of like the back and forth and how we got there. You would just be sitting there completely puzzled. I guess like maybe we all kind of were anyway. Yeah, but hold on, Spence. On that one, I don't think we actually did understand how we Oh no, got we there. don't. Maybe it's- That's maybe the it's frustration. I think for me, I don't disagree that having some of those radio calls actually is entertaining. It makes the sport. I understand what you're saying. What I disagree with is how the team principals were using the radio calls, specifically if you want to highlight Abu Dhabi, how Horner and Wolf were yelling, for lack of a better term, at Massey, 
at the moment when he's supposed to be making decisions that relate to driver safety. Completely agree. But that added to the conversation we're having now after the fact. No, but, but what I'm saying is like, I completely agree with you, Phil. I do. I don't think Total Wolf should be trying to influence when Michael Massey calls a safety car. Completely agree. Shouldn't be doing it. But my experience has made all the richer for having heard it, right? It's up to Toto to not do things that are over the line, right? Like, I can't get there with you on this. I think this is an advance that I don't think they're going to be able to pull back, even though they now wish they, they could. I think maybe for me, what it is, I like the distance, right? I want some mystery. I want something left. I don't want to be inside of it all. I actually enjoy some of the mystery of this thing that I'm never going to ever do and never understand fully and never be so fully immersed in. Some of the fun for me is the distance, is the watching, right? To me, you know, being let in too far is akin to the first time a girlfriend told me that girls don't have pillow fights at slumber parties. Like, it took all the mystery away all of a sudden. It was like, really? You gonna, like, I liked the idea that... That happened yesterday for you, Randy? Just whatever. It's close enough. Close enough for cricket. To me, there was always some joy in knowing, like, there's other things going on behind the scenes that I didn't know about. Eventually, I might hear those stories. Eventually, those things become part of the, the mythos of the sport. But to me, it's a little TMI. Old man yells at clouds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our last segment. It's everybody's favorite game, box, 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 bingo. This time it's the predictions edition. So we're going to do nine predictions. Gareth, we actually walked through them before you joined the call today, so you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage. Don't worry. None of us wrote it down, so we can't remember. It's okay. I was going to make it up. We're just going to go with it. I'm going to build out the mural so that we can post it to Twitter afterwards, so I'm capturing all the information. So let's get into it. Box number one. Drivers' Champion 2022, Phil. Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to pick on me first. It's a tough call at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no I'm, I'm sorry, Phil. Determining the Drivers' Championship before the season or any testing has started is a tough call. Yes, I'll yeah. give you that. Yes, yes, it is. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I was going to be courageous and go somewhere else, but now I'm going to stick with Verstappen. All right, go with Max. It's a safe bet, shall we say. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's a little bit uh, side one, track one of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, but we'll take it. All right, Stax. Do the opposite of Phil. George Russell. George. Okay. Nice. I like it. I believe in George. Randy, who's your pick? You know what? I'm going out on a limb, and I'm calling it for the Ferraris this year. I'm saying it's probably going to be Charles. Okay. Since Spence seems to have abandoned us, we all get to pick for Spence. I think we all agree that Spence would Nikita? pick Nikita Mazepin. Absolutely. Mazepin I was going to say Spence picks Lewis, but yeah. like Spence gets Maz. I like it. Constructors champion. Constructors, I'm, I'm actually going with Ferrari. I think they're going to nail the engine and the formula with the format for the aero and body work and everything like that. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. With Constructors, you've got to look at Mercedes' track record in the last kind of era. Didn't say that uh, Merck is going to take the constructors again. Spence, since you missed the first box, we've assigned for you. So who did I pick? You picked Mazepin. So um. no, I picked uh, Cheryl Leclerc. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the picks are already in. Uh, no, yeah, sorry, the, picks, the pick is in. It's locked done. in. I'm sorry, I, picked, I picked I picked Cheryl Leclerc. For the record, Cheryl Leclerc. <laughs> You're chasing a cat or something like that. So what's your pick for constructors champion 2022? Yeah, it's going to be Ferrari. I think they're going to be competitive this year. I think this is their year where they're back in the fight at the front consistently. I think they've got the best driver lineup on the grid. And I think you're going to see both drivers in the fight 
I think, like I just said, Charles is going to be one that takes the crown. Interesting. All right. I'm going with stacks. Unsurprisingly, I'm thinking this is going to be a murkier one way or another. It doesn't matter who the driver lineup is. That's my pick for Constructors Champion. We'll see how this goes. So we've got a battle royale coming down here. That's the Ferrari and Mercedes. This should be fun. Third box, best of the rest. This one's going to be fun. Suspense, fourth place driver, third place team. Third place team, going to be Red Bull. Fourth place driver, going to be Carlos Sainz. All right, giving Ferrari some more love. Wow. You think that's going to be the gap between Carlos and... I think you're going to have Charles Leclerc. You're going to have Lewis Hamilton if he races and Max. Like Those will be your top three. And then Carlos will be, will be next. I guess that's fairly well thought out. Stacks, what do you think? Fourth place driver, Lando Norris. Third place team, Red Bull Racing. Wow. I like it. All right. Okay. I know you've got Merck on top. Who have you got between them? Got to be Ferrari. Okay. Phil? I have no choice thinking about my picks and trying to figure it out mathematically. <laughs> uh, it'll be Red Bull, third place. Mercedes will be second. Okay. And your fourth place driver. And fourth place driver. I'm going to go with Gasly for an outside shot. Wow. Oh, I like it. I wow. like it. Bring wow. the pain. I like it. That's an aggressive pick, Phil, and I respect it. Rolling a dice. That's all I'm doing there, guys. And by the way, since this is box, 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 bingo, I never win. So this is fantastic. <laughs> I can pick any. Pressure is off. This is true. This game is somewhat fixed, but that stays with the sport. Yeah, you know what? So I'm going way out of limb and calling both Norris and McLaren for fourth place driver, third place team. I think McLaren is going to have a far better year than anybody's given him potential credit for at the moment. And especially if Danny shows up and Lando does what he does, I, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting fireworks. So wait, wait, Randy, then who would you pick to fill out the top two, not necessarily in order? If McLaren's coming in third. I agree with everybody else, right? I have Merck on top, followed by Ferrari, but I think that... Do you think Red Bull's going to fall to fourth or lower? I know that Honda's giving them the power units and that they're doing their own thing with the rest of their engine, but it's first year where you're kind of owning your engine on your own and there's, you know, a new team here. Honda's actually said, oh, we're going to stay in and keep sending the engines till 2024. Yeah, they're not really owning their own engine. I mean, really, this is just Honda's way of keeping in. It's going to be like a Red Bull Mugen Honda by the end of it. Yeah, something like that. I, I don't know. There's something that just doesn't feel like it's going to go well. I think I see RBR in fourth, but on consistency alone, I think McLaren's going to sneak into that third spot. That'll be exciting. All right. Let's go back to the circuits. Race of the year. Gareth, best race of the year. This is me being patriotic. I would love to see a great race here in Canada. The circuit Gilles Villeneuve, always capable of throwing up great races, a bunch of different weather as well. It's got some great high speed, some great direction changes, the tiny little hairpin wall of champions. I think Canada's going to be the race of the year. I, I agree. That's actually what I had written down, only because I hope we're going to be there. Race of the year because shirtless Phil was in the stands. I heard LH painted on his chest. A. Hey. No, and B, there's no way I'm having Lewis Hamilton written oh, on my I know. chest. So I'd have to lose some serious What's going to happen is to you're going to fall asleep and we're just going to paint sir across your chest. I'm going to get a hotel in a different <laughs> set, part of town. Don't worry. Just wait till the tramp stamp will give you. Oh, Phil, race of the year. Race of the year, I'm going a week earlier than you guys. You guys are going the 19th and I'm going for the 12th. I'm thinking it's going to be Azerbaijan. Okay. All right. So I actually also had Canada, but just to be... A little bit different. I will say I think the race of the year is going to be at Spa. 
That was my second choice. A dry spa, huh? If we, if we actually race at yeah, spa. Yeah, we're going to race at spa this year. It's going to be fantastic. We're getting into the middle of the grid. The fifth box is Maz versus Joe. Now, is this in terms of the most number of spins? Overall battle this year. Look, I would love to say that Haas is going to be more competitive, and I hope that they are. I think an Alfa Romeo, Sauber, operating at or close to the budget cap, I think it's going to be a better car. I'm going to say it's going to be Joe. He's going to take it to Mazepin. Right. I'm going bold, and I'm going to pick the other half of that one, and I'm going to go with Mazepin. I have to completely agree with Andrew Spencer, Joe. I'm calling a tie. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you I'm can't calling a tie. Ben I think they're both ending. You no, can't ben call a tie. There. There's no way it's going to tie. I'm calling a tie. They both end with zero. <laughs> That's a legitimate prediction. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Right. It's written in. It's tied on zero. If they score any more points and tie, doesn't count. Well, okay. You're predicting zero points. Who finishes higher based on highest finish without points? Highest finish without points? On the count back. Yeah, on the count back. It's you okay. for sure, on the count back. So you have to put you in the back and surround Okay, today. fine. <laughs> Just to be clear, you got to pick one. All right. So this one's going to be fun because, again, there's really no science to this one. But since you added it to the mix, Phil, you get to start craziest steward call of the year. I was hoping you weren't going to pick that one, actually. I threw that in for a good laugh. That's why I picked it. Craziest Stewart Cole? Give me a second here. So here's what's going to happen. Haas will be more competitive. Mazepin's still off his head. We're going to see a one-race ban for Maz for just accumulating a bunch of points on his license. Fair enough. All right. One-race ban for Maz on points. All right. I'll take that. It's all the points he scores this year. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, clarified? Can I predict this? That two drivers will get two race bands? Sure. Why not? Stacks. So my stewarding prediction is the enforcement's going to be logical, reasonable, and consistent race to race. <laughs> that is absurd. That's my prediction. <laughs> that is crazy. Okay, that wins. That's fucking yeah. nuts. <laughs> That's... Either that or we're going to see something about track limits that maybe doesn't decide the championship, but plays significantly into the championship and advantages somebody, either Lewis or Max. Yeah. Completely. And my absurdity will be that the red flag leaderboard becomes an official award given out by DHL. I can only hope so much. You got the pressure of doing that a second year in a row now, Gavin. It's pretty easy. You just watch a race. All right. Let's get back into stuff that we can actually genuinely guess at. Most fastest laps. Gareth. Max Verstappen. Interesting. Because Max's one lap pace is just brilliant. You know what? One lap pace doesn't mean much when we're talking about fastest laps. I'm going to say it's going to be George Russell. All right. Phil? Yeah, I'm with Gareth. It's Max. Another battle royale because I had written down George. All right. Largest teammate point differential. Point delta if you want. I'll start. It's going to be Alpha or male. I hate to say I think I agree with you on that one. Damn. I'm going to say it's going to be Alpha Tower again. I hope you're wrong. I really do. And it's not just because I want to be right, but like I really hope you're wrong on that. I mean, Gasly's just so freaking good. I just feel like he might wipe the floor with Yuki again. All right. Randall? I got Haas. I think where I've got Mazepin scoring nothing, I think that if Haas did the job on that car, then young Mick is going to be consistently in the points and just wipe the floor with his teammate. We can only hope. Uh, I think so. All right. One last box. Top Canadian. The battle between Stroll and Latifi. If Williams gets the shit together, it's Latifi. Because I feel like if you put Nick Latifi and Lance Stroll in equal machinery, 
Yeah, Latifi's going to get him. I get that. But has Williams put themselves together enough yet? That car has been much improved over the last two years. There's no doubt about it. They've made some very, very smart organizational changes, as perhaps Aston Martin's gone the other way. Spencer, you calling Latifi? No, I'm going to call Daddy's boy, Lance Stroll. Please sponsor us, Lawrence. (laughs) Please sponsor us. Get a life. Yeah, I'm probably going the same way as Gareth. In the end, I, I think you're right. Aston Martin has made too many strange calls with their management structure in the last couple of weeks. You really are an HR professional. You're putting a whole lot on culture, man. It plays a huge role in success and failure. It really does. Guys, hmm. Stroll has been on the podium multiple times. He's also been on pole, right? We know the guy has raw pace, right? I think it's got to be him. Yeah, I think if there's more races in the rain, Stroll takes it. You see our resident wet weather specialist? He is very, very good in the wet. I think so. Yeah, like, I, I think it would get more rain. It's just that's where that goes. I think Latifi, even if Williams has a great car, which I think they will have gotten a lot more together, I don't know that he beats the Aston this year. And again, going back to culture field, I think he's going to have enough on his hands trying to beat Albin. And that is going to be enough of a distraction for him that he's not really going to be thinking about anybody else on that track. It could be a motivator for him. It could go either way. It could be enough that sort of pushes him forward as well. Who knows? Can we make one final prediction, Randy? Okay, let's do it. Whether or not Lewis Hamilton shows up and drives. You guys can make those predictions. I don't want to play into that one. I'm going to predict Lewis is going to show up. He's going to drive. I'd say so, and I'd say he strongly challenges for the eighth world title. Hey, what the hell? I've got nothing in this shirt. He doesn't show up. He doesn't drive. He retires. I guess we're using this as... The tiebreaker, in case we're all tied at the end. Uh, yeah, I think he shows up, and I think he shows up with a chip on his shoulder and drives like a freaking madman. So uh, that ends up another episode of Box, 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 Bingo. Look on our Twitter feed at, at FlippinF1 for empty boxes, and you can put in your own feed either before the season. You can do your own predictions edition in every race. Take a look for the empty grid, and you can fill it out, and we'll talk about it potentially on this cast when we go through our weekly race predictions. So let's end it off. Thing you're looking most forward to in 2022. Started up, Spence. A competitive Ferrari. I like it. Gareth. Hopefully seeing you jerks in person and going to a race in person. Oh, I hear you on that. Yeah. Being able to be fans in person again. For sure. Phil? For me, I'm looking forward to most seeing which team or teams, because there'll be one or two, that really come out of the gates strong with these new regulation changes. Nice. I think that's going to be the interesting piece. I think you're looking you know, for the 2022 double diffuser. <laughs> I am. I'm yeah. looking to see what is that innovation that they have come up with that six races later is withdrawn from competition because it's too competitive. <laughs> DOS Redux. <laughs> six tires, double diffusers. What else have we got out there, right? F-Ducks, Tune Mass Dampers. There's all these things. That, to me, that's the exciting part. And seeing it, well, seeing it at the Bahrain practice, probably, before the Grand Prix itself. Nice. Nice. Uh, for me, you know, it's going to be, yeah. yep. because there are new specs all over the place, the thing I am totally looking forward to is the epic, epic Ted's Notebooks that are going to come out of this yes. season. Like, those are going to be ones that we watch, like, again, for several seasons while these cars evolve mm-hmm. over the next few. I think those Ted's Notebooks are going to be really something this year. Yeah, the race-to-race innovation. Yeah. One of the, the key facets of Formula One is it's out at the front, it's innovating all the time. We've got a new formula. 
there's innovation happening all the time and it's fantastic. Like your head spins. Like yeah. Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun making fun of Mazepin for another season. Can't pick on the guy too much, guys. Come yeah, on. it's all right. And that ends another episode of At Flippin' F1. We've loved having you. It's always great. We hope to see you again throughout our second season, which will begin soon after the first test of the year at Bahrain. Abu Dhabi. Ah, well, well, maybe we'll start it up at Abu Dhabi. Before then, we may do a short bit on liveries, but until then, hope you're out there. Hope you're staying warm and staying safe and having fun. Flippin' F1 is edited by Eric Wellman. Say goodnight, guys. Goodnight, guys. Bye, guys. See you guys.